0: Praise God. I want to talk to you about commitment today. Everybody say commitment. Amen. Amen. There's three chairs behind me. We've been on this theme since the beginning of the year of commitment about being committed. And I said to you things like you become what you're committed to, right? If you're committed to something, you become more like it. Whatever you focus on, you draw closer to. So it, it holds true in every area of life. If you want to be in better physical shape, how many know you're going to go to the gym more often? Well, I'll take those two weak and feeble amens. (laughs) Talk to Regina back there. She'll tell you. She's an awesome health coach, right? You become what you're committed to, whatever you focus on. You know, Or or big Rick back there. I'll tell you what, I I look at him. I'm like, I got to hang out with you more often, bro. You know, he's like Planet Fitness every day, Pastor, 4.30 p.m. I'll be there. So, you know, it's a challenge, right? But whatever you focus on, that's what you draw closer to. You want to be more educated, you go back to school, right? You get your books, whatever. If you want to be more spiritual, how many know you need to spend more time with Jesus? Yeah, it's about commitment. And there's three chairs, and I promise you, everyone in this room and those watching watching on television is sitting in one of these three chairs behind me. Commitment, compromise, and conflict. And you can see this running th- theme throughout the Word of God. It's very clear. Um, and Paul talks about it again and again, but I'll just give you a couple of references. Well, I'm not going to read all this, but 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and let's go to verse 1. And, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. How many understand that is the main message right there? He was crucified and He rose again, right? Verse 3, I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. My message, however, and my preaching were not with wise, persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. How many know as men of God, we're called to demonstrate the Spirit's power? It's not just to teach a cute little sermon. There's a lot of wise, persuasive words out there. Some churches are filled with mega churches. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a mega church, so don't get me wrong. Um, but because a guy has wise teachings and all wisdom is needed and all that, but what we really need even more than wisdom is the power of God in our life and to be demonstrated in our life. Can you say a big Amen. amen. But he said, uh, you know, but it demonstrates the Spirit's power. Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest. Why? It doesn't rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That's why so many people fall away when a man of God falls. They're like, oh my gosh. And they, they lose. Like It's like, well, who was your faith in? Was it in a man or was it in God? Okay. So we do, however, and he talks about God's wisdom revealed by the Spirit. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, I has not seen... Ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. Can you say amen? That means God's prepared a whole bunch of good things. If you love Jesus, your future is as bright as the promises of this book. Can you say praise God? That's a good place to say amen and give God some praise this morning. Amen. 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 These are things which God, verse 10, have revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things. Even the deep things. King James says, yea, the deep things of God. That's what I grew up on, the King James. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit taught words. And this is the verse I kind of want to focus in on a little bit here today, verse 14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but actually considers them foolishness. You know anybody like that? They don't know God, and so they think you're absolutely crazy. And I want to say to them, this is normal out there. That's crazy. This is normal out there. That's abnormal. Okay. And uh, they can't understand them because they're not discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now go right over to the next chapter, verse 3. Is this okay? Okay. I know I'm reading a lot of Bible verses to you, but I'd rather hear the word of God than somebody's opinion about the word of God. Billy Graham was interviewed near the end of his life, and he said, do you have any regrets? He said, my biggest regret, I don't have many, but my biggest regret is that I wish I would have spent more of my time reading the word of God instead of books that were written by men about the word of God. It's good, isn't it? Probably the most effective evangelist certainly in the last 100, maybe 150 years. Dr. Billy Graham said that. So it says that it's okay to read a couple extra verses on Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Paul writing again to Corinth, next chapter. By the way, the Bible didn't have numbers in it, in, not the book of numbers, but like where you could say John 3 and 16 until about 400 years ago. So they had like the book of John, you know, and you just had to find it, you know. Aren't you glad they have references now? <laughs> a little bit easier, right? Praise God. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. I can, I can like, sense the frustration in Paul as he's writing this uh, letter to Corinth. How many know there was 1 Corinthians? Then he wrote a second letter called 2 Corinthians. This is to a church at Corinth. And they kept messing up. Like How many know they were messing up? They were getting into all kinds of stuff. Anybody says, we need to be a New Testament church. Read your Bible. They weren't all that, okay? But the only church in there that he commends is the church of Philippi, you know, four chapters, Philippians, you know. But Corinth, I mean, they're, they're getting drunk off the wine, off the communion table. They were getting into the Bible. are all kinds of stuff. And actually, there's 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And I don't know if you know this or not, but there's actually a 3 Corinthians that never made the canonization of Scripture. You know Why? Because they said Paul wasn't under the anointing when he wrote it. The inspiration, because he was ticked off. Have you ever been ticked off? How many have ever been upset about something? And it definitely wasn't God, it was you. Well, that's where that third letter went, okay? So thank God it's not in your Bible, or we'd have people just going kind of like they are now out there, okay? So Paul's writing this, and he gets into like, don't follow people. Don't put leaders on a pedestal. I don't have time to exegete this whole passage, but don't, you know, just say Apollos is so great and Paul is so great. He said, no, there's only one is great and his name is Jesus. Amen. Okay. And we'd have a lot less tension in the world if we didn't just follow the leader. Okay. And I know he also, St. Paul says, for those of you theologians that, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a pattern to follow. That's an example, of course. Um, but understand what he's saying here. He's saying that there's three types of people and they're actually outlined in these scriptures. Those three chairs represent three types of people. Everyone's sitting in one of those chairs today. Everybody in this room, everybody watching at home is sitting in one of these chairs this morning. And here's what they are. First one represents, I'm going to just recap a little bit if you weren't here last week. The first one is the chair of commitment. These are people who are dedicated, they've dedicated their entire life, in fact, to the Lord Jesus Christ and His service. Amen? That's committed people. I believe there's a lot of committed people here this morning, and I commend you for being committed. Um, They're committed to the personal call that's on their life. You know, how many know we all have a call? Of God. It doesn't, God doesn't only call pastors and, you know, like that, but He calls all of us. The minute we were saved, amen, the regenerate work, the minute that we gave our heart to God, we were infused with the Spirit's power, Proverbs calls it, Proverbs calls it the candle of the Lord was ignited in us, we began to shine for Jesus and to fulfill the call and the mandate, in fact, from heaven that God has on, on our lives. Amen? And again, we miss it sometimes. If we're honest, we don't always get it right. You know, but uh, but those are that people in the first chair. And Paul said that there's three types of people. In that first chair, he said there are people that are spiritual in nature. They far passed off being babies that need to have a bottle or their diapers changed. How many know it's okay to have a bottle and your diapers changed when you're an infant baby, but when you're 37 years old, there's a problem. <laughs> all right, some of you are getting this, all right. <laughs> and so let us go on, he says, to perfection, right? So let us go on. But there are people in that chair are committed. I know a lot of people, and many of them have now gone on to glory that are committed. I actually feel, and I'm just going to say this. I'm not telling you this is God's word, but I feel this very strongly in my heart, this deep sense of conviction, brother and sister Bradley, people like my own parents, people like Delphine Coleman that are still with us, that God has withheld his wrath being poured out because these, that first generation were so committed, and their prayer life was so strong. Sister Bonnie, it's an intercessor sitting here. You you understand what I'm saying now by the Spirit. Again, not everybody can grab that because it has to be revealed by the Spirit. But let me just make this point that because people pray, I believe that God withholds His judgment on America. You may not agree with me, but I almost feel like because people aren't praying, there's more and more that's starting to filter through now. You can receive that, you can reject it, but I believe that what we're living in now is partly to blame, not on the world, but on the church. Because we're called to pray. We're not called to point fingers. We're not called to complain. God knows we're not called to be glued to CNN with an 18-pack of toilet paper and a hazmat suit <laughs> and living off everybody's post. Everybody's an expert with these subjects now. But we're called to pray. Everybody go like this. Put your hands together. What's that universal sign for prayer? That's our job. Amen? And if we're not praying, folks, I'm not prophesying this. I'm just saying you can only expect things to get worse, not better. When is the last time that you prayed? That's a commitment. I was raised by people who still pray. My dad will grab my mom's hand first thing in the morning long before they ever get out of bed and just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost at 90 you go to their house, I'm, I'm t- I've am telling. i walked in on them many times and they've got the word of God open. Hands raised, tears coming down the face, praying for you, praying for this house. You see the results? Some of us are more prone to complain than to drop to our knees and pray. Oh, well, what a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Why? Oh, because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Amen? Those are committed people. They have a prayer life. They're going further. But then we have that other chair behind me that's called compromise. Everybody say compromise. That's the second chair that Paul refers to. And... uh, these people, are, are. some of them are born again, I believe. They go to church some, but it's not really consistent. Um, they're glad to tell you that they're a Christian if you ask them, but they live very distant from the Lord. You know anybody like that? Look at your neighbor and say, thank God I'm not sitting in that chair. <laughs> not look at them and say, I'm not sure about you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but see, like, we, they live... Uh, in a, in a shell of what they should be for God. And so they're compromising in their faith. They once sat in chair number one. They might have, when they had that first love, they experienced Jesus. They gave their heart to God. Maybe it was at a youth convention or a kids, you know, camp weekend. When I was a kid, can I just say as a preacher's kid, I got saved every time they gave an altar call. <laughs> Anybody like that? Anybody grew up like that? I mean, every time, Brother Gary, they'd call, I would go up. That'd be the first one. I'm like, oh, God, Jesus, please forgive me, God. I don't want to go to hell. I was so afraid of the rapture. Remember the rapture back in the day? I was so scared to death that, I mean, I was terrified. And, uh, you know, I remember the first time I went to a movie theater when I was a kid. It was like a G-rated pirate movie back in the day. I really, I sat there thinking Jesus is going to come right through the ceiling down here scared to death. And even worse than that, I thought my mom was going to find out that would be real hell to pay. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Anybody grew up in an old Pentecostal, you know, somebody say, man, some of those rules were crazy. Yeah, but they didn't hurt us any. Can you say amen? The Bible said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? <laughs> Compromise. But people have compromised. Look at 1 Corinthians three one. It's right there. He said, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, Merely as infants in Christ. He's saying, You gotta grow up in this thing. We gotta grow. We can't just come to church once in a while and think somehow we're gonna be growing spiritually. Whatever you feed will grow, whatever you don't feed will die. Can you say amen? Amen. Come on, you know that old story. The guy came to a psychologist, counselor, he said, Man, I feel like I got two dogs at war with one another inside of me. On one dog is he's got anger and jealousy and bitterness and hatred and wants to say all kinds of stuff, and the other one loves God and knows he needs to be in church and read the Word and all that stuff. And you know what? He's like, "What do I do?" And the counselor looked at him. He said, "Just stop feeding the one dog." Can you say Amen? And that that if if you feed your spirit, how I many know your your spirit will grow? You'll grow spiritually. Amen. Praise God. So then there's a the third chair he talks about. And the third chair, person that sits in the third chair, there's people who are unsaved, they're unchurched, and they're uninterested. They have no desire whatsoever for spiritual things. You know anybody like that? Amen. Praise God. He'll be fine. My mom used to take me out and beat my butt when I was a kid. Oh, Jesus. Memories of the way we used to do. <laughs> my mom said, I'll beat the devil out of you. <laughs> and you knew she meant business. She was praying in the Holy Ghost all the way out to that cold attic. I'll beat my butt. I mean, man, I still got, yeah, I mean, no, I, I lived an abusive uh, childhood. I got scars, you know, literally on my posterior, you know. <laughs> but those people that sit in that chair are very carnal people. They have no desire for the things of God. Paul said that there's natural, there's spiritual, there's then the natural in the compromise, and then there's the carnal. They sit in the chair of conflict. Their life is in conflict all the time. They're always fighting against somebody. And actually what they're really fighting against is not flesh and blood. And so they're in conflict. And they they have no desire for the things of God but they're always trying to gratify the sinful nature, whether knowingly or unknowingly. They've been born once, but they've never been born again. 1 Corinthians 2.14, a person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Can you say amen? They're unchurched. They believe as long as you're sincere... They believe things like this. People that sit in this chair, they sit in this chair of conflict, you probably know some of them. They believe that all roads lead to heaven. They believe that all religions basically end up in the same place. People that sit in the first chair know that that's a lie from the pits of hell. They know that Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to God the Father except by me, except through Jesus. Can you say amen? Big difference. Big difference. I don't know what it is about humanity, but it seems like if we're not careful, church, loved ones, really, from my heart today, we start out in this chair, but we don't stay in it many times. We start sliding into this chair called compromise. And we love God, but we don't really serve him like we once did. Can anybody relate with this? We live a compromising life. We start to allow things in our life. We're not careful. And that's why we've got to be so careful. I'm, I'm speaking now to some fathers that we don't become susceptible to the attacks and the temptation of the devil. You see, if we're not prayed up and we're, we've slid into the chair of compromise, maybe we're allowing things in the eye gate and the ear gate. And we start to become Lukewarm. And then the enemy comes with an all full-blown attack. Is this making sense to anybody in your life? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you've got a marriage It's a good working marriage, but you're really not where you you know you're not leading as, as as the priest of that household. And your prayer life has dwindled down to a few words before a meal. And if we're not prayed up, what ends up happening to us is the enemy comes in at just the right time. How many know he's cunning, he's crafty? The Bible said he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your marriage, your home, your family, the spiritual health of your children, your finances. Everything comes under attack. And he slithers in there. It's just like being under surveillance. And he watches for the most opportune time. And then he'll come in with an attack. And sitting in a a chair of compromise, all of a sudden, you're like, my God, whoa, whoa, what, what did I just think? My God, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I entertained those thoughts. That's a chair of compromise, sir. 41% of men in the evangelical church are hooked on pornography. 41%. That's a number from about 10 years ago. I'm sure it hasn't gotten better. When we were kids, we used to sing those songs like, Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Right? We start to compromise. And I told you last week about Joshua, and I love Joshua. And there's so many examples. There's examples of families in the Bible, in your Bible, like guys like David who had a heart after God. And then the next generation, his son, Solomon, had everything. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He never really had to work for it. I'm not saying it's wrong if you're born into a wealthy family. You have no choice what family that you're born in. But it's what you do with what God's put in your hand. Amen. Can you say amen? Solomon, he, he wound up him. he blew it big time, okay? You know this story. And then Rehoboam, Rehoboam, his grandson, was probably the craziest king that ever lived. He made hideous decisions. You see, it's commitment. And then many times the next generation, it could be your children or compromise. And then it's conflict. We could talk about Abraham, father of the faith, Isaac, And then Jacob, as Kyle just mentioned a few moments ago. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Joshua, you know, he got, the Bible said that Joshua, he was a committed one, right? He, the Bible says in Joshua 14, 8, that he said, he said, by my fellow Israelites who went up with me, made the hearts of the people melt in fear. However, I followed the Lord God wholeheartedly. Everybody say wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. That's commitment. That's being all in, man. Right? Joshua eleven fifteen. 15, it says, Joshua left nothing undone and all that the Lord commanded Moses. So how would you like to be that guy that left nothing undone? Right? Any of you have unfinished projects at the house? Maybe some laundry needs to be picked up, you know, dirty socks on the side of the bed. Any guys like that? Let's just be honest. Come on, confession is good for the soul, okay? but he was committed, he did everything that God commanded him to do. How many know that's the first chair of commitment? Amen? Amen. But watch this, at the end of his life, Joshua 24, 15, he's about 110 years old, most theologians believe. 110, my gosh. My wife's great uncle, Brian, was in the first service, he's 93, and uh, Brian and Geraldine came over. The other night we had a wonderful meal, fish and asparagus and healthy stuff. And then we watched a Country Family Reunion. I loved every minute of it. It was great. I never even heard of it before, but I knew a lot of the people on there. Um, not personally, but their music. And I just enjoy spending time with older people because how many know they've stood the test of time and have a tremendous love for Jesus? See, that's sitting in the first chair. Amen. How many have a, had a grandparent maybe a grandfather, grandpa, maybe something like that, a grandma, like my grandma, she hold me and pray in the Holy Ghost. Man, that's, that's how we came up. Masah not only talked about, but lived out. Can you say amen? And you have that choice. You now, was 110, and he stands before like a million and a half of the Hebrew children. He had won every battle. Walls of Jericho. Think what his eyes must have seen. He came up under Moses. Talk about following a type A leader. And he said, I don't know about all you, but choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, this is his last message. We will serve the Lord. Now put up the next verse if you got it there. Joshua 24, 16, if you got it, put it up on that screen. This is then the people answered Joshua. A lot of people don't know this one, but they actually answered Joshua when he said this. And here's like you guys would say, I'd say something or somebody's preaching up here. And you say, amen, like that, right? I mean, so, this is what they said. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and to serve other gods, Joshua. We're going to follow in your footsteps. That's the next generation. How many know that? He must have checked out of here being very fulfilled. Amen. Just like Paul, who said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my race. And I have no regrets, right? The only problem was one generation later, and we picked that up over in Judges 2, the same family now. Are you ready? (laughs) Then another generation came. And the family, this is in Judges 2.10. Look at it. If You got to put it on the screen. There it is. After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. You know why? Because they mixed their passions. They mixed and married. They married people from other idol- backgrounds of idol worship, and they got all jacked up. And there's actually a verse in the Bible that says, "Not only were they into idol worship, that they still had somewhat of a fear for God." How crazy? Does that sound familiar? That's like one foot in the gray, one foot in the world, one foot in the church. Not really sure. Revelation 3 would call it lukewarm. God said, I'd rather you be hot, first chair, or cold. But because of your lukewarm compromise, I will spew you out of my mouth. Is this okay this morning? I'd rather preach what God's laid on my heart. I'm not condemning. I love you enough. And you ought to thank God that you got a man of God that loves you enough to get up in your grill once in a while and tell you the truth. This is a commitment thing, third chair. Third chair, no sense of spirituality. They go along with everything. Gay marriage, ah, no problem. It's okay for uh, two women to marry each other. No problem. I was in, uh, what was that place we were in the other day? Best Buy. And I, you know, I, I, I joke around a lot. You could ask my wife, you know. But there's two girls in there in their early 20s all over each other. And inside of me, I could feel it welling up in me. This righteous indignation. If you're sitting here, those things should bother you. Let me tell you something. If it doesn't bother you, there's something wrong. You could be sitting in this chair. People that sit in this chair... They're okay with abortion, killing of the unborn. I'm going to tell you, God's not okay with it. And this church will never be silent on those issues. Ever. Not on my watch. Let me tell you something, folks. If we can't stand up for a baby, an innocent baby, what have we become? And now we've got like mousy, little afraid to tell the truth preachers out there. They're like, well, just don't say anything. We don't want the people to stop coming. I would rather they don't come than live a lukewarm life because I don't want their blood on my hands. Sitting there, God hates abortion. Listen, if you've had an abortion, God loves you. God forgives, He heals, but He hates the killing of the unborn. There's six things that God hates. Proverbs 6:16. 6, you can read it yourself later. I don't have time to turn there. This is what it says: those that shed innocent blood. And I am not going to stand before God one day as a man of God and try to water down his word to please you or anybody else. I refuse. People in conflict, they're always in conflict to the word of God. Are you, what chair do you sit in? What chair do you sit in? He hates it. He just hates. When you're sitting in the second chair, when you're in compromise, it's like, you know, drudgery to go to church. You know, when you're sitting in the second chair and you're in compromise, you're more really committed to your career and to your job and to your business than you are to God. When you're sitting in a chair of compromise, it's like drudgery dragging your kids to church. Let me tell you something I learned this from my dad. If you don't take your kids when they're young, you'll have, it'll be like trying to push a boulder uphill when they're 16 and 17. And if they'll come, they'll be kicking and screaming all the way. It'll be, it'll be like your life would be like, I'm not prophesying. I'm just telling you folks, train up a child in the way he should go. That's that chair. When he's old, he will not depart from the faith. Amen? We compromise as parents. I meet parents that say, you know, I, you know, yeah, I know I probably should. But yeah, you know, um, they, my kids, they have more unsafe friends than they have Christian friends. Really? Yeah. Um, I meet parents to say in this chair, you know, I just kind of want to be really good pals and buddies with my kids. That's a huge mistake. Because they see no authority line. Joshua, he drew a line in the sands and said, as for me and my house, we're serving God. Can you say amen? It's not an option, you know. Not when like our kids living under our roof. I mean, my God, you know. My, my mom and dad, they weren't mean, but you know, how many know? My dad sat in that head chair at the table. I can still see him. He's like a gentle giant dad. Walks soft, carries a big stick. Anybody grew up with a pop like that? My dad, I, I every once in a while, I'd do something like I was a little rebellious. I'd get in his chair, just try to kid around, like, yeah. And I'd be looking at my brothers, and I had two older brothers, older sister, and I'd be like, na 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 na. All of a sudden, I'd feel that hand. And he grabbed my ear. And twist me right into the right chair where I belonged. You know? anybody grew up like that? My mom, Jean, you probably remember on a Sunday night in the old church, they had the man. They had more. They had more musicians back then than I think we do now. I mean, they had the. Uh, there's we got old pictures here somewhere. My mom would play that accordion, you know, and on Sunday night I was just full of it. I mean, I had John like your kid. I was full of energy. I couldn't sit still. And we had these pews. I used to love that, Like they'd always like you know polish mine and I'd go flying them across the thing. Oh, whoosh, whoosh. Or we get, you know, do a little Holy Ghost, you know, jig on a Sunday night. And I like to kick my shoe off and try to hit somebody with it, you know. And my mom would be up there playing the accordion and she'd look at me and go. She'd like guide me with her eye. There's a scripture that says he guided me with his eye. Man, I'd go and try to sit. I couldn't sit. I still can't sit. I'd curl up inside. I could still see that, that uh, accordion case with blue velvet in it, Jean. I could still I curl up inside of that thing, you know, and close. I've been playing jack-in-the-box. Boy, I'm telling you, when she got done. <laughs> it would have been easier just to not go to church. It would have been easier for them just to stay home on Sunday night and watch Netflix or whatever. But they chose a chair of commitment. What about you? What chair do you sit in? What chair do you sit in? Committed to God. Committed to his house. People sit in this chair of compromise. They say, you know, we just want to raise kids that are like in the beta club. And it's not wrong. I want them to be cheerleaders. You know, I want them to be really, really smart. I want them to be like doctors. And some parents have their kids' whole life planned out for them. And I'm not saying it's wrong. But what about God? See, I want him. We want it. And we still want our kids to be raised in the house of the Lord. Can you say amen? It's not always easy. In fact, it's it's a hard road many times. But Jesus said that He said the path that leads to destruction is broad, but the path that leads to heaven is straight and narrow. A Few there will be to find it. And folks, you know this. We're not going to get to the end of our life, and God's just going to say, "Y'all, come on, everybody, come on home. Everybody's welcome into heaven." No, you need to choose who it is you're going to serve. You need to choose. You say, man, I didn't come up in a family like yours. What am I supposed to do? You be the one that is Joshua. Can you say amen? You be the one that's committed. You be the one that sits in that chair and opens the word of God at night and supper time. And, you know, if your kids are on your phones, just do what we've done before. Give me the phones. Give me those phones. Let me have them. Now we're going to eat as a family and we're going to enjoy this meal that I made. (laughs) I don't do that. My friend Lindell's done that with his kids. (laughs) Actually, I was at lunch with Lindell last time he was in, and and my boys, and they all had their phone. You know how that phone comes out? I think we have, like, neck and back problems because we're always going around like this. I'm waiting for the day they come out with a cell phone with a walking stick on the end of it, you know, like this. (laughs) Like that lady that fell in the fountain. Remember that a couple years ago in Allentown? I'm off straight in a drink, you know. Why? She's looking at the phone, you know. He was in last year, we... Went somewhere, I don't know, in Scranton, one of these places, you know, and and he said, let's put the phones on the table in the middle. (laughs) I said, okay, I like this. He said, let's put them all in the middle. First one that touches their phone is buying lunch. (laughs) It's pretty good, ain't it? So I'm almost done. I just want to say this to you, though, folks, commitment. When I think about Herb and Julie, it's okay I share this, right? I asked their permission first, and they got married yesterday, and it was beautiful. And here they are in church, right? The next day, you know. Um, but they applied to, they come to church on Easter Sunday when Jonathan was here, and we had that big thing out in the roof that the, the media just loved. They're just celebrated the presence of the Lord with us, Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God, Amen. You know what? I'm amazed. I shouldn't be. But when we took that little bit of fire from the Scranton times, how the church actually took a jump upward. You know why that is? Because the Bible says that when a church comes under fire and persecution, that's one of the ways we grow. Amen. And we don't like it. I don't like to be criticized Do you, but it goes with us sometimes when you when you it's sitting in that first chair. It's easy to go the way everybody else is out there. Just shut that. Just lock the building. Don't ha- don't worship God. Just stay at home. Just be afraid. you no, stay under a blanket, you know, with a snuggie and a hot tea or something, you know. And no, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. If some have, as we fastly see the day of the Lord approaching. Hebrews ten twenty five. Herb, that was your first time, right? And Julie, you guys came, and the girls, Faith, and Mackenzie, And I'll never forget it. I met you, you came up, and Herb's a big truck driver from Ohio originally. And they really got on fire for God. Later that year, last fall, they want to become members in the church. And I said, well, there's this class, and we actually have it this Saturday. We do it like twice a year, my wife and I, called Starting Point. We'd love to have you. Even if you're just checking out entertaining membership, you should come out. It'll be great. We'll have coffee, we'll talk about Jesus for a couple hours, right? But that's the starting point of membership. What's the difference between being a member and attender? One word, commitment. It's the difference between living together with somebody and actually marrying them. And so they went through the process, right? Herb and Julie, and they go through the class and then they get interviewed by, you know, somebody on the board, some leadership people like that. And then I didn't know it, but you guys are living together for how many years? A long time. Eight years. And I had to tell them when I got that, I couldn't accept them in a membership. And, you know, can I just say as a pastor, and maybe you're watching this as another pastor, so you understand it. Your husband, you guys understand it. That you deal with that kind of rejection piece, right? But you got to tell the truth because you're going to give an account to somebody of a much higher office. And I said, I'm sorry, but we can't accepting a membership. I want to. I really do. But, you know, until you make it right in the eyes of God, I can't. And, and you know, I've had, I've had that conversation with some people before, and you know what they do? They get mad, walk out the door, and then they'll post all kinds of nasty stuff about you on Facebook because it's really easy to post. It takes a lot of commitment to post out there, doesn't it? You ever realize a homeless person under a bridge even has an iPhone today? And they're going to post stuff about me. I don't even know them. They're not committed to me. Why should I be committed to them? Oh, that was worth the price of admission. <laughs> think about it. Don't, let, don't get upset with people because they don't, if they cared about you, they're going to stick with you. That's called first chair. Amen? Herb came back, right? You guys came back and said, listen, about, I think it was about, was it a week later, something like that? About a week later, he'd come back. He said, Pastor, we're going to get married because we want to be members in this church. God, God. i tell you. I love you, buddy. I really do. I love you, Jude. Amen. You're a beautiful bride, too, yesterday. Praise God. Amen. And so that's what I'm talking about, folks. You become what you're committed to. What chair are you in? Amen? What chair are you sitting in this morning? Everybody's in one of three chairs. I'm almost done. Commitment compromise, or conflict. It's very simple, but it's lined out in the text. How many of you have seen it in the Word today? Again and again and again. And so God's giving, because people are committed, God's giving great testimonies. Gina, God's given you a great testimony recently. You you want to share that? Yeah, come on up. Praise God. Amen. Let's get a mic here. Praise God. Let me get you a mic. I have a friend named Mike, but it's different than this guy.
1: (laughs) Hi, for those who don't know me, my name is Gina. I've been coming here since February 2016. Mm -hmm. I was saved, water baptized April 16th. Um, the time that I've been coming here, the miracles, wonders that I have seen. My daughter was raised from the dead nice. um, because I was with a golly who laid hands pray. on her. Uh, I told the, the ambulance he wasn't leaving. Um, crushed my foot, not even 12 hours later, the bones were completely restored.
0: Can you say praise God, somebody? <laughs> amen.
1: When the when we were battling through COVID in 2019 or 2020, which 2020 happened to be the best year that that we had. So Thank praise God with you. that, we weren't, God. we weren't affected. Uh, but anyways, um, I was up in the balcony and Pastor Terry and Tyler, I went up to, by Thrive and Homestead they had prayed over me and When they prayed on Sunday, I was up at the balcony, so this was going back months ago, Um, and someone had spoken tongues. And no one responded to what was being said, but I knew what was being said. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, I didn't step out. I don't know if it was because I was afraid it was my own thoughts, but I have been so convicted that I told Pastor Terry about it last week. And what I had heard after she had spoken tongues was, my church, my people, I love you so much. I hear your cries, I hear your prayers, and I hear your praise. You did not shut the door on me, nor will I shut my door on you. I am taking you to places that you have not seen. Hallelujah. I receive that. Be prepared. For liftoff. You have not forsaken me. I will not forsake in you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Be ready. I am here. And I love you all. Hey, Thanks, God. And I did not step Amen. out. I've been convicted. So for everyone who thinks God will not use you, just listen. And don't be afraid to step out and say what you hear, because... He loves us all, and He is waiting. He wants us to be a willing vessel. That is it. And the miracles that He can perform, if you believe and step out, help each other, and step out to those who don't believe and reach out, because that's all it's for. Is we're here for everyone to help each other. And I love you all so much, and so does God. Praise God. I love you. You're awesome. Thank you. Amen. You too.
0: Praise God. God bless you. You didn't shut the door on my house. I don't shut the door on you. Whoa. Thank you, Jesus. How many believe we're living in the last days? The Bible said, and I, I close with this verse, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13. A lot of us use it, and I use it, for funerals a lot of times because it's true. See, I want to know what's going to happen. Like Gina, she was in that. They were in a horrible car accident. And her daughter completely, no pulse, no breath in her lungs, gone. And God brought her back. Amen, Aron? What brought her back? You know, my grandma, when she was 33, she lived to be 86. When she was 33, her heart stopped, she died, and she iced it. I'm not making this up. I used to ask her all the time, every time. She used to live with us, Grandma, tell me what it was like going to heaven. And she used to always say, it was like, she was so sweet, you know. She had like some Canadian blood in her and all that, you know. She used to say, you know, my grandma, listen, my grandma was a, I'm not making this up, it was a, a relative of uh, Daniel Boone. So no wonder we're blazing trails in Honesdale, yeah. amen? <laughs> <laughs> God, I just had to throw that in. But I always looked at her because she lived close to Jesus. You know, first chair, right, commitment. And get around those people, man. Rub, the anointing will rub off on you. I don't know how else to say it. You'll start picking up. And, and it's just like if you get around somebody who's sick, you're gonna get sick, probably. Okay, you get around somebody who's on fire for God, you're gonna get on fire for God. We put such an emphasis, I don't want to go near that person, blah, 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 oh, the virus, and I'll okay, okay, I get it. But you ought to get near some people who are Holy Ghost and love Jesus more than you do, and they'll pull you up the spiritual rungs of the ladder from compromise to commitment. And that's what my grandma did for me, and my parents, and so many other great people of this. Church that went home to be with Jesus. I mean, I just... But where will you be? You know, the Bible says, listen to this. So I'm going to read this to you. Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he's talking about, like, what will happen when the Lord's getting ready to come back? Put it... Uh, 1 Thessalonians four thirteen up there if you got it. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. Who have no hope. How many know people are grieving over everything because they have no hope? They're putting all their hope in this world. They're in Washington, DC. You know, I'm not saying that everything should sit well with you all the time. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we're supposed to curl up and just, you know, bury our head in the sand. But don't put your hope in this present world as we know it. Our hope and our faith is in Jesus Christ. If it's in Washington, I promise you, sooner or later you're gonna be disappointed. Okay? Put the next verse up. For we believe that if Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and are left until the coming of the Lord, amen, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, aren't you thankful for that, with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I want to tell you, I believe, I believe that Gabriel is licking his lips. And I'm going to ask our worship team to come back, and I want to sing a song.
1: Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that message. And if you did, take a photo of yourself listening and tag us on social media at Peckville Assembly of God. We'll see you next time, and remember, we love you, God loves you, and may God's richest blessing
0: be yours.